0: It is good to be in the the house of God today, and if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read verse 9 through the end of the chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, reading through the end of the chapter, And the title of the message today is Paul's Last Words. Paul's Last Words. Begin reading in verse 9. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, And will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, before we get into this passage today, we want to think a little bit about the context and and review a little bit um, from verses 6 through 8, if you remember. And this is really important for today's lesson from 9 through 22 that we're going to try to gather from God's word is to know the context of where Paul is in his ministry and what's going on as he writes these words to Timothy as he closes this second letter to Timothy. So Paul is writing to Timothy knowing that the time of his death is imminent. Um, Remember the last time we talked about uh, some of the things that he was focusing on as he told Timothy that the time of his departure was at hand In verses 6 through 8, he said, For I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. i fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also to all them that love his appearing. So last time we talked about Paul's goals for Christian ministry in verse 5, the time of our departure We talked about Paul's final exam. You remember we said Paul was kind of looking back over his life now. And, you know, you think about the Apostle Paul. There's a lot of things that he could have dwelled on about his life, especially prior to his conversion. You think about the Apostle Paul before his conversion. And yet, when he kind of gets to this final exam, what does he say in verse 7? I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I have finished my course. Uh, Those are the things that he was dwelling on at this time. And his expectation was of the Lord. That's the things that we looked at last time in verses 5 through 8. So the themes of this book have been through the whole book, and we will kind of close our study on 2 Timothy today. But you remember the themes of this book have been Timothy, don't be ashamed, Timothy, endure suffering, and Timothy, preach the word. Those three things over and over and over again. That Paul keeps coming back to don't be ashamed endure suffering and preach the word so now here we are at Paul's last words to Timothy and to me it's also just interesting when you get to a passage like this you know so many times there's there's so rich passages and there's so much being discussed and and here we get some personal notes from Paul isn't that just interesting sometimes to think he said hey these guys said hello by the way. And and I want you to bring my cloak when you come. And it's a letter. And it reminds us that it's just a letter from Paul to Timothy. And yet, so important for us to understand the truth and the principles that this was God-breathed letter from Paul to Timothy. He spoke through Paul as he wrote this letter to Timothy. So another thing before we dive in, you know, last words are really important. Do you know that? Last words, you know, if you if you walked up to somebody and, and they were on their deathbed, you'd pay a little bit closer attention to what they said, wouldn't you? You kind of would perk your ears up and say, let me, let, me see, let me see what there is to say here and what there is to hear. So last words are very important, and perspective is much different when we reach a place where we're on the doorstep of eternity. I think that can, that can change a lot of our perspective, and the closer we get to that day, the more our perspective changed. So what we're going to look at today is we're going to try to unpack together Paul's last words to Timothy as he begins uh, to pass the torch on to Timothy, as it were, uh, and in the ministry. So the first, the first point that we want to make today, and this will come from verses 9, 11, and then down at the very end of the chapter, is that Paul valued gospel friendships and fellowship. Paul valued gospel friendships and and fellowship. Now all the way back in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, if you go back there to chapter 1, just turn the page over. In verses 3 and 4, if you remember as, as Paul opened this letter to Timothy, he said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. So even in the beginning of the letter, he tells Timothy, I have a desire to see you. There's a there's a kinship, there's a friendship, there's a bond between Paul and Timothy that Paul values, and he wants to see Timothy. He wants to have fellowship with Timothy. Now he's writing him this letter, but he says, you know what would be better? Is if you would just come to see me, or if I could see you. That would be better. Uh, so even in the beginning of the letter, and then... Uh, back in our passage, we started today with in verse 9 where he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. So Paul valued his friendship with Timothy, and he wanted to see him in person and fellowship with him. Have you ever had those kind of those friends that are more than just friends? There's Christian fellowship between you and them. And, you know, that kind of friendship. Isn't it amazing? Timothy's been away from Paul, and now Paul's writing to Timothy, but yet. Can, can't you just imagine that if Timothy showed up, it would be like they never let off. It would be just like nothing had ever passed. No time had passed. Do you have friends like that? Camp's a good example of that, right? We, there's certain people that we grew up at camp, and we only saw them about once a year. But, man, it was just like you just show up, and things just kind of go right back to where they were when you left off the last time. Well, that's not coincidence. That's the fellowship of the Spirit that we have in Christian fellowship that, that our spirit's, um, have that kinship in in the gospel and in uh, and in the spirit, so Paul valued his friendship with Timothy and with others as we 'll see um, For me, one of the good examples of that is I have friends from college that I served on ministry teams with that I mean some of them i haven 't seen in ten or fifteen years and if we run into each other I mean we 'll just stand and talk for hours uh, just like just like we hadn't missed a beat um, but but it's important for us to have gospel friendships, and gospel fellowship. Now, here's an interesting one. He says also that he wants, uh, he says in verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So this is John Mark that he's talking about. But let's go back to Acts 13 and see why is this kind of remarkable for him to say this. So in Acts chapter 13 we have the record of of kind of what happens between Paul and uh, John, Mark, and Barnabas. In Acts 13, 13, easy reference to remember. In Acts 13, 13, it says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from uh, Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed... from them, return, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So they're leaving out and they're headed towards Antioch and John Mark's with them and John Mark leaves them and goes back to Jerusalem. It doesn't sound too negative there. It just sounds like, well, he's just telling us that John Mark left. But let's go over to Acts chapter 15 and verse 37. Acts, Acts 15 and verse 37. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, same as in Acts 13. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them... That they departed asunder one from the other, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So here's what we have going on here. Paul and Barnabas are, are on this this trip, and John Mark basically deserts them. That's what we find out here, that he leaves and he goes back to Jerusalem. And so Paul's not very happy about that. So later on, they're they're getting ready to go somewhere else and Barnabas says, Hey, I think we need to take John Mark with us. And Paul says, No, he deserted us. He's not going with us. And the contention got the 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 biblical term is sharp. Have you ever had a sharp disagreement with someone? You know, evidently this was this was pretty serious because it got so bad that Paul and Barnabas just had to say, Hey, you know what? We're just gonna go our separate ways. We're just going to part ways, and, and, and Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took Silas, and they went their separate ways. So now, fast forward, we're here over in 2 Timothy, and John Mark, who's the, the very one who Paul had a sharp contention with Barnabas over, isn't this a beautiful thing that Paul now says, hey, when you come, I want you to bring John Mark, because he's profitable for me for ministry. Isn't that a, a, a tale of redemption? And how that even years on down the road, the Lord had repaired that in some way. We don't know all the details of that. And, and who knows? There may not have been a lot of details. It may have just been that time had passed and, and Paul had grown and John Mark had grown and, and all the people involved had grown a little. And, and so maybe this was Paul saying, um, come, come back to me. But what an amazing thing it is. He valued gospel friendships and gospel fellowship to the point that he was willing to forgive and move forward with John Mark and said, not only that, he's profitable to me for the ministry. So you see that Paul valued gospel friendships and fellowship, and he was also willing and ready to forgive. I think that is, if we're going to have good gospel friendships and good gospel fellowship, we have to be able to forgive. Um, There's there's no way we're going to survive without that. Did you know that a church that can't forgive one another would never exist? (laughs) I mean, we're, we're all going to do some things that are going to be, you know, rub somebody the wrong way. And if we can't be, be willing to overlook those things and forgive and move forward, we would never survive. There would be no such thing as unity in the church without forgiveness. So Paul had learned over time, here at the end of his life, he's looking back, how to forgive and, and move forward. Another example of that is in verse 16. Let's look at that. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me. So even his friends had forsaken. He said, all men forsook me. I pray God that it not be laid to their charge. It was, he, You know, the difference is I might have said this. Well, all the men forsook me and they're a bunch of cowards. And I hope the Lord judges them for it, right? Um, that that could have been Paul's attitude. But he said, I hope the Lord doesn't lay it to their charge. I hope that they'll be restored. I hope that they'll come back to the faith. That was Paul's heart. And so in that, we see that Paul was able to forgive and and he had this, this desire to have fellowship and friendships around the gospel, a network. So then we go down to the end of the chapter, and I'm not going to read through that um, list of difficult names and and places and all of that, but if you look at verses 19 through 21, there is a network of gospel friendships there. Paul is telling them, hey, these people are saluting you, and and I want you to, Say something to these people, and, and all of these people knew each other. And he, there's just a network of gospel friendships there and relationships that Paul had and had built up over the course, course of his life and ministry. And that's really important. And you know, the reason it's important is because we cannot do this alone. We, Christians were not designed to operate alone. Um, the way I've always put it, we don't need Rambo pastors and we don't need Rambo Christians. If you don't know Rambo, you're too young, I'm sorry. Rambo was a movie where this one guy, he would, like, go in and beat a whole army by himself, right? It would be like him and a bow and arrow versus 100,000 Russians, and he wins every time. It's fun. It's exciting. But it's not realistic, right? So we don't need Rambo pastors, and we don't need Rambo Christians. We need each other, and we need Christian fellowship. A body is made of many different parts, but all are needed for the body To function correctly so go it alone is not a good ministry strategy and Paul knew that so Paul valued these friendships that he had in the gospel so what do we learn this uh, from this practically for our lives well number one especially for those in ministry which remember this letter is primarily from Paul to Timothy as a young minister so in ministry we need to seek out fellow pastors and godly men uh, to have friendships with in in the gospel and and to help us in our ministries to learn from iron sharpens iron, uh, as, as we know it says in Proverbs. So we need to seek out uh, fellow pastors and and godly men, and for those who are not in the ministry, seek out fellow Christians and build healthy relationships. Uh, you need that in your life, and those should be your closest friends. Now, this always you know is something that that I've kind of thought about even since I was a teenager so is it okay to have is it wrong to have friendships with people that you know maybe aren't as close to the Lord as you are well I think that can be good but I would say this for sure your close circle should all be Christians your close circle those people who you trust and depend on and and who have the most influence on your life those should all be Christians you should never let someone have a lot of influence on your life who is not a follower of jesus christ so seek out fellow christians and build healthy relationships with them and i think maybe some even more practical things in that are that older christians should seek out and help younger christians those who are more outgoing should help those who are not you know be a great example i guess this week at camp maybe you're up at camp you see somebody who's just kind of off by themselves a lot and they're not really talking to a lot of people maybe they're new Maybe you should go up and approach that person and introduce yourself and introduce them to some other people and, and be a friend to them and and help them find other friends and help them connect. Those who are more introverted make help them connect with those um, others who, who normally they wouldn't be able to do that on their own. Maybe it's just not their personality. Let's go to Proverbs and, and look at a couple of scriptures there on this concept, and then we'll move on into our... Our text. Proverbs 17, 17. Proverbs has a lot to say about friendships. I picked out a few. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17. a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So part of the reason we need these friendships is, is one of the themes of this book. Paul has told Timothy how many times in this book? You're going to face opposition. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have afflictions in this life. You're going to, he just keeps going back to it over and over. Timothy, this is what I'm preparing you for. It's, all, it's important if you're going to be going through those things that you have people to go through it with. And so it's in this text, it says a brother is born for adversity. A friend loveth at all times. So that can be a support to us as we do face those trials and, and things in our life. Go to chapter 27. I mean, yes, chapter 27 of Proverbs. And we'll look at verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 27, verses 9 and 10. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity. For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother that is far off. That's that's some good counsel there. He's saying you need to build relationships in the life where you are now. Um, we we need to, and we don't need to burn bridges. We don't need to. Uh, we need to always be trying to uh, to cultivate friendship and not tear it down, not not go away from it. So good advice there in the Psalms about friendships and the truth of how we need those friendships. So where and when we can walk with others and come together, we should. So I want to go to Luke chapter 9 on that uh, concept because I think it's really important for us to think about as Christians that that should be, we should have a spirit of cooperation and not a a spirit of uh, divisiveness, but instead a spirit of cooperation. Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50 it says, And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And then the same passage back in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9, and verse 38. Mark chapter 9, verse 38, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us, and we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part." For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. You think we ought to really take it seriously on how we offend others that that maybe don't see everything exactly eye to eye like we do or do everything exactly like we do it now. I'm not saying that You know, you go along with heresy or you go along with things that are unbiblical. That's not the point of the passage at all. But Jesus says, you just kind of made a snap judgment and said, well, they're not following us, so we're going to forbid them to do any. And Jesus said, you don't know. You don't know what I know. And so, therefore, don't forbid them. If they're not against us, they're on our part. So Christians should have a spirit of cooperation, not a spirit of divisiveness. We should be seeking gospel relationships with all whom we can and it's not possible, and there's different levels of that. I think we all know that. There's a level of church fellowship that's pretty close and pretty tight. We have to agree on a lot of things. Then I think there's Christian fellowship, which maybe there's a, a bigger circle that uh, we are all Christians, we're believers in Christ, but we don't see everything eye to eye. And then there, there may even be a circle bigger than that. I don't know. But I do know that we should always be seeking a spirit of cooperation and not of divisiveness. And Paul Paul valued Christian friendships, and even with some of those people whom he had disagreed, as we saw with John Mark, he did everything he could, and and towards the end of his life, they came back together, and he said, he's profitable for me in the ministry. So I think it's an example for us. So Paul valued gospel friendships and fellowship. Now, secondly, Paul's focus remained on gospel ministry. All right, so we're talking about Paul's last words. So our second point is Paul's focus remained on gospel ministry. So as we said, Paul's approaching the end of his life here, and, and he knows that he hasn't got much time left. So what is he focusing on? Is Paul trying to get his secular affairs in order? Or is he telling Timothy, you know, I need you to take care of this and that? What What was Paul's focus as he wrote this letter to Timothy, knowing that his days were numbered? Well, Paul's priority was the gospel and gospel ministry. Um, and and yet, as, as his time's drawn near, he's laser-focused on gospel ministry and about laboring for and helping others in the ministry. What an example that is. Paul could have said at this point, you know, I've accomplished a lot. I've accomplished all that I can, and and now I'm going to rest and let others pick up the mantle and go forward. I'm incarcerated. Uh, I know my end is coming soon, but that's not the attitude or behavior that we see from the Apostle Paul. Paul was still thinking strategically, and I love the way um, I think it's Juan Sanchez is who I heard speak on this passage. He said Paul was like a general moving his troops around the map, and really when you read this, you kind of get that sense. He he says, let's read verses 11 through 16. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, bring him with thee, for he's profitable with me for the ministry. Tychicus I've left at Ephesus, the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Gives the warning about Alexander in verse 14 and 15 and 16. Uh, he says, in my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God it not be left to thy charge. So he's, he's telling him all these different things that are going on and, and he's moving people around. And I sent this person, you could go back up to verse 10 and he could say this person went here and this person went here. And it's like he's a general overseeing a map, if you've ever seen that in a movie, where they're standing around the table and they're moving pieces around. Paul was still strategically thinking about the gospel and, and what the church is needed and, and about ministry. So uh, interesting that that was what Paul in part of his last words, that's what was on his mind. His, his focus remained on gospel ministry. It's also interesting. You ever heard the term lifelong learner? You know, colleges talk about that a lot. Like, you want to be a lifelong learner. So what they have is they have programs for old people where you can go back and take classes and stuff, and they call it lifelong learners. It's, that's a good marketing thing, isn't it? It's, it's not classes for old people. It's lifelong learners. Well, Paul is a lifelong learner. Now, isn't it interesting that here he is, you know, if, I'll just be honest, if I knew, like, my time is approaching, it's really close, I don't know that I'd be calling for the books and the parchments. I wish, I hope I would, but Paul did. Paul said, I, I want the books, I want the parchments, I want to continue to learn and to write and to uh, grow and grow and grow. He was a lifelong learner, as we all should be concerning the truth of God's word and the truth of of the gospel because, sad to say, none of us is ever going to arrive. Did you know that? You can study the Bible from the time you're born until the time you die, and you won't scratch the surface of the truth that we have in God's word. So he said, bring me the books and especially the parchments. He also shows us that his priority was still the gospel by warning Timothy about specific threats. He said, beware. Uh, He wanted him to know about this man who, evidently, this man was a real piece of work. This Alexander the coppersmith. Uh, don't know a whole lot about him, but evidently he gave Paul a pretty hard time because here he is, and he's warning Timothy about this one individual. And he said he greatly withstood our words, and you need to be aware. You need to be aware that, that he greatly withstood us, and he's going to cause you uh, a lot of problems in, in your life too if, you, if you're around him. Uh, experience. He could have let Timothy learn that on his own, but he's warning him about it ahead of time. Now, in verse 16, another way that Paul shows us his prioritization of the gospel is that he was willing to stand alone, if need be, for the truth of the gospel. This is, this is, a, this is a difficult subject. You know, sometimes if you look around and you're standing alone, you may need to do some self-examination <laughs> about what it is that you're standing on. But in another way, uh, sometimes if you know it's the truth, it's the right thing to do. And there's been many points in history when that was necessary for for one person to stand even alone, if need be, for the truth of the gospel. Uh, Sometimes true faithful leadership is lonely. Um, Sometimes doing the right thing is not going to make you popular. Uh, I think that's a very biblical principle. And I think especially for young people to understand that is extremely important. Sometimes doing the right thing is not going to make you a lot of friends. Sometimes doing the right thing is not going to put you in the in crowd. Sometimes doing the right thing might even separate you from some of your family. Did you know that that was possible? Uh, That can be. Sometimes you have to stand on the truth and say what the Word of God says uh, and and understand that there's going to be consequences. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn there. Matthew 5 and verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, like I said, I think there it's worth mentioning here, there's a fine line. Sometimes when people speak evil of you, it's, it's because of what? It's because of fault in yourself. It's because you maybe. Or maybe you're even taking the right stand, but you're being arrogant about it. Or maybe it's the attitude in which you're taking that stand. So we need to be really careful and not become self-righteous in it. But Jesus plainly tells us that we're going to be blessed if we are persecuted and reviled because of stands that we take in his name. If we're doing it for the right reason and on the right things, we're going to be blessed in that. I'm so thankful that there were some men of the previous generation that were willing to take some very unpopular... And untraditional stands that I have benefited from, um, just as a Christian, just in, in the way that I was raised, um, in in some of the things that I believe about the Bible, because they were willing to take biblically based and true stands on things that were very unpopular uh, in their time, and I'm, I'm grateful that they were willing to faithfully preach and teach and model the Word of God for me, and and that cost them friends, it cost them fellowship with certain groups of people. It cost them, you know, popularity. Uh, it cost them in a lot of ways. Some, some of them, it may have even cost them some of their family. But I'm glad they took those stands. Paul said at his first answer, no man stood with him. That's, that's pretty tough, right? He said, man, everybody deserted me. They were all gone. I took a stand, and they're all gone. And we're going to get into that there's some good news in that, too. We're going to get to that in our last point. I'm going to skip that for right now. But he said, everybody just scattered. Um, he didn't immediately write them off as enemies, though, did he? He said, I pray that the Lord doesn't hold it to their account, doesn't, doesn't hold that to their charge. So to kind of illustrate this, I wanted to share with you a, a story about Charles Spurgeon. The year was 1887. Charles Spurgeon, he was in the winter of his life. He had um, really began to kind of go down physically. He had all kind of problems. He suffered from gout. He had different problems. Um, ones of his organs that were not working correctly he was just really sick and down and he was at the end towards the end of his life and this controversy came on the scene um, in the churches of the baptist union and it was kind of on the horizon at first but it really didn't explode until spurgeon himself stepped into this Uh, he stepped into this uh, called the downgrade controversy and what it was was that Spurgeon and some others began to see a doctrinal decline among the Baptist Union. They were getting further and further away from the truth. And so Spurgeon wrote an editorial, actually a six-page editorial in The Sword and the Trowel, called Another Word on the Downgrade. And at that time, Spurgeon was less than five years from his death, near the height of his popularity in the Baptist Union and globally, Uh, but near the depth of his personal anguish so from the outside looking in Spurgeon was at the height of his ministry the most popular the most known all of those things at this point in his life and yet personally it was some of the most difficult times for him all his physical ailments all of those things had gotten to be very difficult he also knew that withdrawing the largest Baptist church in England from the union would have dire consequences so as he's looking at this doctrinal decline and and the church is getting further and further away from the truth he knows that he needs to say something but he knows there's going to be big consequences if he does nevertheless Spurgeon entered into his study he picked up his fountain pen and he wrote that six page article I'll just read you one little excerpt from it it says the case is mournful certain ministers are making infidels avowed atheists are not a tenth as dangerous as those preachers who scatter doubt and stab at faith now in that, Spurgeon was a lone voice. That's, that's pretty harsh, right? That's a pretty, pretty tough stand for him to take. So three months later in 1888, the Baptist Union Council voted to accept his withdrawal, and then the council of nearly 100 members also voted to censure Spurgeon with only a meager five men supporting the Prince of Preachers. Later on, the Baptist Union, a few months later, would ab- adapt a compromised doctrinal statement, which Spurgeon also said was, was not good, and he lost that vote 2,000 to 7, okay? 2,000 to 7. Now, here's the thing. Spurgeon was right, <laughs> and 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 history bears that out, and he even said that. He said, for now, I'll take all this flack and I'll have and people can he actually said it this way he said people can devour my flesh over this issue and I'm okay with that because in the long run God God's truth will will show through and eventually years down the road if you look back in the history of the Baptist Union it's pretty clear now that he was right it was the beginning of the end really uh, in a lot of ways for the Baptist Union so Spurgeon stood alone when it mattered most and, and he was willing to do that because it was the truth of the gospel. And Paul was the same way, and he's preparing Timothy for that as well. So why would Paul mention this um, opposition now? You say he's, he's already said this in the whole book. He said it multiple times. So why would he mention this now to Timothy? And I think there's two reasons for that, and we're going to cover the last one in our last point. But, but there's really two reasons why I think that he did that. Um, because the second one's going to be Paul's confidence in Christ. But the first reason I think he shared this opposition now in his last words is because of the why. The why. So he says, you're going you're to have this opposition. People have f- fled from me. Uh, this Alexander the coppersmith, the bad guy, you need to avoid him. So you say, why would you mention that? Well, it's in the why of what how he explains why that was important. So let's go back into our text. He says... Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, and here's the important phrase that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So, Paul says, The reason I'm mentioning this is because the reason it's worth it to me is because of the preaching of the gospel. I'm willing to stand alone, I'm willing to take these hits, I'm willing to do all it, and that's the reason it was for Spurgeon, too. The truth was that important. He said uh, there in verse 17 that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. Paul's priority was the furtherance of the gospel. And that's why he was delivered. From the mouth of the lion so the the why was Paul delivered the why did why did he continue why did he continue to take that stand it's because the truth was important and he wanted to be able to deliver that true message regardless of the cost regardless of the cost to him personally regardless of the politics of the situation you know Spurgeon politically that was a pretty dumb thing he did right he's right here at the end of his life you know Ruined his reputation among all the people that he had built up for years and years and years and years for all of that time, and he just from the from the world 's view they would say, Man, Spurgeon just threw it all away right at the end spurgeon wouldn 't see it that way. No. he would say, because of the preaching, because of the truth, because of those things that then it 's worth it all that 's why I can have confidence in God and, and be delivered from the mouth of the lion, and, and God will make sure in his time that that 's taken care of so Amen. One last way before we move on that we see Paul's prioritization of the gospel and of gospel ministry um, is is that even here in his last words, he's continuing to prepare the next generation to carry on the truth of the gospel. His concern for perpetuity of the truth to following generations is evidence in this whole book. We could go back to chapter 2. You remember we talked about generational truth where he says, you need to preach and you need to tell others so that they can also teach others. We talked about that generational truth. That's a, a concern of Paul, and that's really what he's doing in his last words. He's, he's given Timothy everything he can here at the end. Here's the things that you need. Here's how you make your priorities. You need gospel friendships. You need to beware of these people. He's still concerned about the next generation and, and the ministry that's going to go on after Paul is gone. Uh, so um, it, even... Even here at the end, he's preparing uh, for those who are going to come after him. So even if if you're not in ministry, I would say... Paul would tell you that, that you need to place a high priority on the gospel and on truth and be prepared to follow after sound doctrine and sound teaching in the church. That's what he's telling Timothy, saying you need to do this kind of teaching. Well, if you're not in the ministry, you can take that this way. You need to be concerned about the gospel and about the truth and be prepared to follow sound doctrine and sound teaching in the church. That should be important to you. As you think about who you're going to marry, as you think about where you're going to live, all of those things that That is Paul's concern is the gospel and the truth and in worshiping the Lord and being around people that believe like he does and and that he can fellowship with and we should pattern our lives after that just the way that Paul did and that was Paul's concern even up to the end. Uh, one of the things that's going on with me right now uh, that, that really that's my heart in it is that I'm trying to organize a conference on the 1689 London Confession of Faith. What I would really like to see in that is that we could come together as a people and say this is what we believe that sounds really simple doesn't it just to come together and say these are the doctrines that we believe our forefathers believed them we believe them and yet man it's amazing how how political and how you know all these different things can come into that but i hope what i hope for is no matter how we do it that we're able to put some kind of marker down to say here's where we stood in 2022 Here's where we stood in 2023, whenever that time is, so that generations that come after us can say, at this time, they were standing on this truth. This is where they stood. That's that's important to me, and I hope hope we get to see that in our time. Now, thirdly, and our last point this morning, is that Paul's confidence is in Christ. Paul's confidence is in Christ. So he says there in verse 16, um, well, actually, verse 17. Let's start in verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're just reading this text, you would kind of think, well, Paul just wrapped up the letter right there. He said, in all these things, and forever and ever, amen. He puts an amen on it. No, it's just because I think he's worshiping at this point. He's saying, God's going to deliver me out of everything forever and ever, amen. And then he goes on and finishes the letter with some some personal notes. Uh, But as he says that, we see that his confidence is in Jesus Christ. So the question then is, how could Paul... Write this letter to Timothy and encourage him to not be ashamed and to endure suffering and to endure afflictions, to preach the word. What gave Paul confidence to write all of this as he's approaching his departure from the world? Let's look at Deuteronomy 31, 6, back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 31, and verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. So here you have at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses, he's passing off the scene, and there's a new generation coming up. Now, what does Moses say? Hey, y'all follow Joshua, because you can depend on Joshua, and he's going to make sure that everything's okay. That's not the message that Moses gave, right? He said, the Lord will not forsake you. You don't have to be afraid, not because of Joshua or not because of Moses, but because the Lord has said he will not forsake thee, he will not leave thee. So it's his confidence in the Lord that he speaks about as he passes on to that next generation. Another really good question for us today is this. Where is our confidence today? What is your confidence in, especially... In the things of the Lord. What are you trusting in? If you were facing an imminent departure from this life, what would be your hope and confidence? What would you share with those coming after you? What would you say to them? How would you say, I'm able to face death? What, what would be your uh, the, the backing to what you said to those people? Well, what Paul told Timothy was, the Lord stood with me even when all others fled. His confidence was in the Lord. So then the question, like I said, for us today is, honestly, when we just, you know, I'm not going to ask anybody to say it out loud. I'm not going to ask to raise the hands or anything like that. But just in your own mind today, if somebody said, what is your confidence in about what happens to you when you leave this life? How can you be confident about that? How do you know that? What can you trust in? How do you know that um, the things that you've heard are true? Well, here's some things that some people probably trust in that are, are not good. Traditions. Traditionalism, now that can be good, but it makes a lousy God, um, and that tradition's not, um, not anything that that really has any meat to it. Gifts and abilities—do you trust in your own ability, in your own gifts that God gave you? That uh, those can be good as well, and God gave them, so we know they're good. But they fall very short. Maybe uh, there's programs in your church. Maybe that's what you're trusting in. That. You know, your church has all these really creative programs and, and a lot of things going on. You know, we're we're doing a lot of activity maybe. Maybe that's what we trust in is, is that's how things are going to grow and things are going to get better and is that we have creative programs. Maybe the size of your church or numbers or popularity, well, that's fleeting at best. You know, and, and any of that could be taken away in an instant. Positions or titles, those things can be lost. They really sometimes just lead to pride and self and, and self-reliance. So our confidence can't be in any of those things. And what Paul says is, my confidence is in none of those things. Paul's confidence wasn't in his own abilities. It wasn't in any of these other things. Paul's confidence was in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. And you know why? There's, there's two words. People used to wear t-shirts all the time, right? It says, Jesus saves. Do you know that? Jesus saves. You know, that's, that's real. Jesus saves. Traditions don't save. They cannot save you. Your best gifts and talents and the best thing that you have to offer fall short. But Jesus saves. Those things cannot save you. No amount of programming, no amount of followers, no amount of popularity, none of those things can save you. What Jesus says is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So our confidence must be in Christ and in him alone or we're trusting in the wrong things. Right. So if you're, if you're thinking that, well, mom and daddy went to church their whole life in the good old church and so did great-grandparents and grandparents and my mom and daddy, and now I'm going to the same church and so I'm probably in good shape. Well, the church can't save you. The church can't save you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then the church is, is really just something that you're doing. It's just something that you do on Sunday mornings. It has to be about a relationship with Jesus Christ, that he has called you to himself and that you have followed him. So are we thankful for that this morning, that Jesus saves? And and here's one reason why you should be thankful for that. Did you know that Jesus never fails? He never fails. See, the reason why all of these things that I'm telling you cannot save you is because they can fail. The traditions can be incorrect they can be unbiblical uh, your gifts and abilities uh, you can be you know lifted up in pride and they can become negative things all of these things have problems except the fact that we know that Jesus Christ never fails he always comes through John let's turn to John chapter 6 John chapter 6 I'll read just a few verses. John thirty seven six thirty seven All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. He that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 39, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus Christ is not going to lose one. He never fails. So the reason we can, that our trust should be in him is because all these other things are going to pass away and, and they're there's not, they're nothing that we can have confidence in, but we can have all confidence in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Paul said in verse 17, when everybody else fled and, and went away, when everybody else went the wrong direction, the Lord stood with me. He was still there. In verse 18, he he had a certainty. He said, The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. He didn't doubt it. There was a certainty there that he would be delivered. So when our confidence is in the Lord, it becomes possible then to even forgive those that do betray us. Isn't that an interesting connection? If your confidence is in Jesus Christ and that's what your hope is in, then when other people let you down, it's not as big of a shock. Did you know that? <laughs> because you realize they're just like you. You can't depend on your own strength, so why should you depend on their strength? They're not, um, the, their, their strength is not what's going to save you. It's Jesus Christ. So when we trust in Jesus Christ, when he's our hope and confidence, then it becomes possible to forgive those even that betrayeth. It also becomes possible not to seek vengeance, but instead remember that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And you say, why do you say that? What did he say about Alexander the coppersmith? Did he say, Timothy, you need to go take care of that guy? You need to send a, a committee over there to, to take him out because he's, he's against us. He's against the gospel. No, he said the Lord reward him according to his deeds. He had, he had turned that over to the Lord. So it also becomes possible not to seek vengeance. So as we close this book and this message this morning, let's put ourselves in Paul's shoes for a moment and think about this question. What would your last words be? to the next generation. You know, Paul, we know what was on his mind because we have it written down for us. The things that were on Paul's mind were the value of godly Christian friendships and fellowship, Paul's priority on the ministry of the gospel, that he, even at this stage of his life, he was still had a priority on the gospel, and Paul's confidence was in Christ and him alone. That's what was on Paul's mind as he was writing down his last words. So if you're a young person hearing this today, Heed Paul's last words. The pattern and the remainder of your life should be according to these truths. If you live according to what Paul has said here, you would have an unwasted life. You could get to the end of your life and say, that's an unwasted life. Now, if you're a seasoned Christian already, then you follow an example of, of Paul in this text by preparing yourself. Uh, the next generation of Christians and that through your words and example and as you finish strong as Paul did other Christians will see that and they'll be able to through that example not trust you but trust Christ in you you see Paul he's not pointing Timothy to follow Paul he's saying Timothy my my confidence and, and my hope and everything that I have is in Christ Jesus so it's through my example I want you to see Christ not Paul So if you're a seasoned Christian, then lean on Christian friends and godly fellowship. Prioritize the truth of the gospel. Keep your confidence and hope in Christ and be an example for the next generation as you finish strong as a believer. And then the last word, I would say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then take up your cross today and follow him. Follow him and and seek to, to follow with his people. As we've talked about these relationships, there's a relationship there that you'll never have on this earth in any other way than through the Spirit of God. So take up your cross and follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the example we have of the Apostle Paul as he shares with us uh, his last words as he approaches uh, the end of his life. And we just pray that you would uh, lead us into truth, that you would uh, just show us Good gospel friendships and relationships that we can have and grow together; that we would be a good example uh, for others; that we would be a good friend uh, and have good friends as we walk in this this world and face adversity. Uh, we thank you for those that you have provided uh, in this place and and the membership here of this church. We ask that we would remain close in unity and those fellowship uh, those fellowships and relationships would just continue grow. We thank you for your word, for the truth of the gospel. May it always be our priority here uh, that the truth of the word and and the gospel message uh, would go out from this place uh, for years, uh, even after many of us are gone, that you would continue to use this place uh, as your mouthpiece uh, to share the truth of the gospel and the truth about your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, We also pray that uh, as we leave this place today that you would give us opportunities to share the gospel Uh, With others and that we would uh, always be about that work of sharing the gospel with other people and uh, we also thank you for your son Jesus Christ Uh, we know that all of our uh, hope and and confidence is in him and uh, we know that uh, without his sacrifice for us we're lost we were rebels against you and while we were yet sinners Christ died for the ungodly so we thank you for that sacrifice today and the the ability that we have now to approach to you through the blood of Jesus Christ Uh, we pray that as we leave this place today that you would forgive us of our sins and draw us closer to you in Jesus name we pray amen